Super Talk Mississippi media production. Have you been seriously injured? Mama Justice is here for you. Our medical team partners with top-notch doctors, surgeons, therapists, and urologists, ensuring a comprehensive recovery journey. If you've been injured, call Mama Justice today. We're here for you. Howdy, howdy. It's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to midday super talk mississippi i am your host gerard gibbert along with rhino in the element wealth studios guiding you through the middle of your day with facts fodder and fine music on this friday eve and a bit of a warm one out there it was freezing like three days ago this is crazy it's a bit springy (laughs) nuts uh, you know, you can see five planets in the sky forming a semicircle, and the moon is going to be joining them for good measure as well for the next few days. Hmm. Jupiter, Mercury, Venus, Uranus, and Mars should be visible with a clear sky over the next few days. You need to get away from the lights and so forth. Get out. Yeah, you need to get into, into dark sky. Yeah. Uh, apparently, Venus is going to be the easiest to see since it's the third bright. I didn't know this. Third brightest object in the sky behind the sun and the moon. Why is that? Why is Venus? I think it depends on where you are on the planet and when it is in the year. But, I mean, think about it. It's... Out of all the other celestial bodies, how far away is it from us compared to everything else? Yeah. And the reflection of the sun. Yeah. It's also planet. a yeah. planet covered with bright yellow clouds and the wavelength of yellow with the way the human eye works. The most Not quite as bright as red to the human eye, but it's close. Actually, I thought yellow is the most visible. Is that not true? Yellow well, and red reflects the most back. Okay. So it's technically the brightest. Okay. Uh, Venus, of course, the easiest to see. Next, Mars, the red planet, as it is known. It's a bit fainter, but still supposed to be visible to the naked eye. The hardest one to see, the farthest away, of course, Uranus, but it's bigger. It is reported that most will need binoculars or a telescope to see Uranus. It is considered an ice giant, is one way planetary observers describe it. But apparently this is a fairly rare deal, right, when this many planets at one time are visible. Yeah, I want to say it was 
not long after Y2K where you had the the planets aligned and there was a whole lot of hoopla about that. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting to think about how people view the solar system because when you do the model for elementary school out of foam with the hangers or whatever and you – it's not to scale. It's not evenly spaced. So then you have all these people trying to explain scale, and it's hard to wrap your head around. And even then, that's only on a two-dimensional plane. We're actually hurtling through space. So, yeah, it gets a little wonky. Yeah. Uh, apparently, this situation where five planets are visible does happen with some degree of frequency, but it's not always the same five. So it's this combination that's a bit rare, according to folks that know a lot more about this than I. I'm just reading this from the Daily Mail, and it's been reported in a number of other media sources as as well. Saturday, the March the 25th, is the first day. It is reported that next Tuesday, March 28th, will be the best day to see these five planets, and then... The big show comes to an end on March the 30th. Now, I don't know what they teach today, like down there in the third grade, other than pronouns, right? you got to teach that. It's obligatory. And all sorts of stuff about sexual orientation. And, of course, you got to have drag queens coming and read. Apparently, they're the only ones that are willing to tell stories to kids. <laughs> or they can, right? Uh, but... When I was in the third grade, we had to learn the order of the solar system. They still do that? They oh, did yeah. That when you were going through? Yeah, but uh, the the number of planets has changed since I was coming through. Okay. Because Pluto is no longer considered a planet. Oh, it's not? No. What happened to it? Uh, it fell outside the new guidelines okay. for determining what makes a planet. I didn't know that. Because... Since Pluto has been discovered, they've also discovered, I don't remember the exact number, I'm not going to say countless because that's an exaggeration, but a lot of other objects beyond that point in the solar system that are bigger than Pluto. So you're telling me Pluto got canceled. Did it, like, misuse a pronoun or something? (laughs) Or what's the deal? No, actually, that happened long before people were concerned about pronouns. (laughs) Okay. Well... I just brought that up because I remember that uh, we were taught to uh, to memorize. We were required to memorize the order of the planets, and we were given a memory tool. You know what that is? A little mnemonic device? Yeah, little a little acronym or something, a little saying, slogan, whatever you want to call it, to use it. And did you? Did they do that when you were going through? Oh yeah, it was. It was always a variation of something like "my very eager mother." Yeah, something like that. Yeah. We. It was Mary very easily makes jam, S U N, and then Pluto, Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, Jupiter, right? Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, Pluto. That works, doesn't it? I still remember it, and we even had to. Did a little play on the stage for the parents to come in. All about the planets. All about the planets. And we had the sun. I was the sun. I got the, the duty of holding up a big 
<laughs> at a poster board at a form of sun, and then other students represented other planets, and they revolved around me in the center there. And as they stood in the front, they would describe their planet. Does that mean the teacher couldn't trust you to run off, so they had to put you in the middle? (laughs) That's exactly what it was. Sister Eleanor. (laughs) And if you did it wrong, you get a quick, (laughs) swift kick to the butt. Uh, You acted right around the nuns, by the way. They don't do that anymore. Unfortunately. What's wrong with that? I'm not for, like, major corporal punishment or anything, but, you know, a little jacking you up is good for you, isn't it? Am I being cruel here, unreasonable? Could we use a little bit more of that? And I'm not saying be crazy and abusive and hurt people, but, you know what, Uh, a little, little tap on the wrist with a yardstick was okay. You jacked up. You straightened up, didn't you? It was a quick reminder of the rules. Yeah, and we knew them. Tell you what, they, uh, but it was good. We were pretty good at that because we were feared the yardstick and the other devices. Oh, gosh. Ben from Madison says, dwarf planet. That'll be offensive in a few years. The ceasefire text line, 601 879 Four three nine five. We need to tell you who's on the program today as well. Former Secretary of Education Betsy DeVos will be on at ten thirty seven. She's in the Magnolia State. I think she's with uh, doing a luncheon today with the Center for Public Policy. She, of course, a big advocate of school choice, charter schools. She'll talk about her new book, Hostages No More. The Fight for Education Freedom and the Future of the American Child. At 11.05, Rob Sigler, opinion contributor to Super Talk Mississippi News. So the Fed, by the way, they're trying to thread the old needle with the interest rate deal. They increased rates by a quarter of a point yesterday. And I tuned in a bit to... um, Fed Chairman Jerome Powell, his remarks, well, they're so exciting. They're <laughs> that'll really get you going, but he's keeping up the fight against inflation. Not happy. Still has a 2% target, says we got to raise those rates again. Now there's concerns that that could put further pressure on the banking industry with an increase in rates. However, There was a flight to equities out of treasuries. Yields on treasuries are down, which is actually good news for the banks. Investors think, Rhino, that this may be it. And they're they're all trying to second guess based on all this commentary, all that language as we've discussed before. And so if you look at the Fed futures markets, they think this may be it. Maybe one more quarter point. They're actually projecting a pullback on rates before the year's out. The Fed, uh, the futures say we may have a Fed funds rate of 3% by September of 24. Coming right back in the Element Well Studios on Midday. Stay with us.
Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's do this. On Super Talk Mississippi. Let's do says Pluto refused to declare its pronouns. That's why it has been removed from the solar system. Let's see here. How many folks know Roy G. Biv? Who's that? That's the mnemonic device to remember the colors of the rainbow. Oh, okay. Didn't know that. Interesting. I thought it was Uranus that got canned, no pun intended. (laughs) Dan in Hattiesburg. The Skyview app is awesome in teaching kids about the solar system. You just put your phone towards the sky or ground, and it shows where all the stars, planets are, constellations, satellites in the sky, and gives you information about it if you tap on the screen. That's some of that AI stuff at work there. How about that? Speaking of AI, this whole chat GBT thing, and we're just in the early stages of AI, it is, uh, it's got everybody talking. I mean, it is top of the news all over the place. Have you uh, experimented any with chat GBT or any of the others, Bard? I've played with. Uh some of the AI image generation, just typing in random words, seeing what comes out. And it's, I I understand that there are people in several different creative industries that are worried, but it takes a different set of skills, not an artistic set of skills necessarily, but you have to really think algorithmically to get, some of these to produce anything resembling actual art. Yeah. And there are now third-party companies, as you know, that uh, make available for sale toolkits that include props to help you navigate and oh, yeah. fully leverage the technology. You know, before we came on the air, I was commenting to Rhino that the Dow is up today. 416 in the green. It sold off yesterday after Powell, during and after Powell's remarks. Didn't really hear what it wanted. It felt like, and it's trying to de- today parse what Powell said. It's He's never direct. That's the way these folks are. But the market yesterday said, well, it looks like he's going to continue his, his hawkish stance, meaning more rate hikes in store. And then today, investors, after parsing his comments, say, well, this may be it. This may be the last, the one yesterday, the quarter point. And and so they dive back into equities. I've been watching Microsoft, full disclosure. I've been buying and accumulating Microsoft for a few years, several years. And it sold off fairly significantly this week, and I couldn't figure out why. There's really no news. 
And then today, it's up substantially. Uh, and I think that you've, you're seeing now these big tech companies, the ones that are stable. I'm not talking about the uh, the more volatile companies from an equity perspective, from a performance perspective, but Apple, Microsoft, two that are just stalwarts, very stable, have a huge customer base, subscription customer base, which is even more valuable. And in the case of artificial intelligence, which is gaining speed tremendously, of course, Microsoft is right in the thick of that. And uh, OpenAI, the organization that introduced it, ChatGPT, and is working on all sorts of other AI technology, it's backed by Microsoft to the tune of billions. I think this is a whole new business opportunity, a, a new frontier for the company. It's just getting started. And it made me think about just share a little personal experience here. Going to Wall Street and pitching the investment community on, on my company, and they always wanted these detailed projections, pro formas, going out five years. In, in a company like ours, which had a, a fairly complex, multimodal revenue stream, it was just difficult to do that. We'd do our best and just applying a bunch of math, honestly. But I would often make the point that the neat thing about the industry, the invigorating aspect of it, was that in five years, we don't even know what we're going to be selling. It hasn't been invented yet. That's the cool thing about it. Constant opportunity. One thing looks like it's kind of reached its peak, starting to phase out. Boom, something else pops up. And that's kind of what's happening here with Microsoft. As an example. So today, most of us know Microsoft for their office tools, their software, their Azure cloud platform. That's how they make their money. Still, of course, widely used across the globe, produces massive revenue and profit for them. But who knows, in five years, AI may dominate their revenue streams. Quite possible. We're just getting started. We're in the oh, yeah. infancy here. Just getting started. And I remember, this is crazy, in 1985, pitching local banks to start my company, I remember discussing AI as a future opportunity. Now, that's 40 years ago, but it was being worked on then, and you knew it was going to materialize and come to fruition. I think AI has a unique hurdle it has to overcome in the uh, public consciousness. And I think that hurdle was put there by director James Cameron with Terminator and Terminator 2. I think that's true. That, I mean, there is a sincere fear that the the growth will become exponential, just like all the other growth of any other tech has been exponential. And with AI, the exponential growth gets a little scary for some. Yeah. Uh, I totally agree. And and it's look, that's rational. That's reasonable. Elon Musk has warned about it as well. This is the same thing that we've watched throughout human history. Anything novel, anything innovative, anything new on the scene typically has very positive benefits for society, but there's always a downside risk. Uh, maybe the 
technology that, that really pronounced that more than anything is nuclear fission, right? When Look at the positive oh, uses yeah. of that versus the negative. Uh, in the wrong hands, in the, in the, uh, put to uh, nefarious use, destructive. In the right hands, unbelievably powerful, beneficial. Same thing here. And so that's a concern, no doubt about it. Uh, and people, are, I think, are right to be concerned about it. There's a lot of folks that say, oh, my gosh, this is going to cannibalize lots of jobs. We need universal basic income. Heck, Which there have been studies on that now, and from everything we can tell at this point, the people most in danger of losing a job are tech industry, people that make over $80,000, and people with a college degree. From a from a chat so there's, GPT there's still a whole bunch of jobs that would be necessary. No doubt about it. Uh, but and that's kind of where we are on this. But there was a great article in the, in the New York Times, written by Thomas Friedman, as an opinion columnist. I read sometimes, but he was preparing to brief the board of a museum his his wife runs called Planet Word. He's a, he's a member, and he was going to brief the board about the effect chat GPT will have on words, language, and innovation. So he sort of put it to the test to, to create a description, an overview of the museum itself. And it did, and it was incredible in what it produced. And he kind of asked it to switch around and produce it in other languages, to produce it in a, a prose format. And it was just amazing how it would do that in a split second. Incredible. Uh, it's, it's what he called meta-technology, meaning it just has application across so many dimensions. Uh, but it's really incredible to, to watch all this develop. He calls it a Promethean moment. Promethean moment. One of those moments in history when certain new tools, ways of thinking, or energy sources are introduced that are such a departure and advanced on what existed before that you just can't change one thing. You have to change everything. Wow. That's a pretty powerful statement and premonition there. We're stepping aside for a break right here from the Element Well Studios. When we return, former Secretary of Education, Miss Betsy DeVos. Please stay with us. With Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk, Mississippi. We are back with you on Midday Super Talk, Mississippi. Thanks so much for joining us today. And we're pleased to welcome former Secretary of Education, Miss Betsy DeVos, to the program. Madam Secretary, good to see you today. 
Gerard, it's great to be with you. So I understand you're here in the Magnolia State for an event sponsored by the Mississippi Center for Public Policy, uh, where you will deliver a message, I'm sure, about education freedom, education choice. What are you going to tell the folks? Absolutely. Well, we're going to talk about the fact that there is giant momentum behind the education freedom move to and ensure that parents can make decisions about where their kids learn and how they learn. And, uh, and, and Mississippi is, uh, is poised to take steps in that direction. Yeah, so as you're well aware, the states of Iowa and Arkansas, uh, led by their respective governors, uh, Kim Reynolds and Sarah Huckabee Sanders, recently enacted sweeping education, universal education choice legislation. We need to get this done in Mississippi. Absolutely. Absolutely. We know, you know, parents had a front row seat to see what was really happening in their kids' schools during covid and for a variety of reasons, they are demanding that they now have a lot more control over how their kids learn and where they learn. And uh, we're seeing states uh, across the country passing these universal plans to give, give families the opportunity to make those choices with universal education savings accounts. It's, it's a great move, and it's, uh, it's one long overdue as we've seen kids continue to fail in schools that simply aren't meeting their needs. Right. Absolutely. So, um, Madam Secretary, I'm not sure before President Trump and then uh, you're serving in the role of Secretary of Education, there was even any discussion or focus on education freedom at the federal level. No, I think we did bring, I I know we did bring focus to that, and um, it was something that I have been working on and advocating for for three decades before going to Washington. But the, you know, the progress that we made was state by state and smaller programs. Now today, again, because I think many parents who before weren't paying attention or didn't have the opportunity to see what was really happening with their kids' educations, they've been awakened and they're not going to uh, you know, they're not going to be quiet. They they want to have the uh, the ability to direct their kids and education and to know what's going on in their classrooms and to make the choices that align with their family's values. You know, it, it seems like that just the concept of education freedom, education choice, and just the mere involvement of parents in the education setting for their children, it's like kryptonite to the teachers' unions and uh, to many of the left-leaning states and uh, and school districts. Why do you think that is? Why do they oppose it so feverishly? Well, they've they've continued to cling to every bit of power and control that they have been able to amass over these decades. Um, And it's it's all about the control and about the power. It's focused on adult issues and adult jobs and adult everything, it's not focused on doing what's right for individual kids. And so we see them fight. They have been fighting tooth and nail for decades now to continue to build that power, to continue to amass that control that they've had. And um, and, and at every step, particularly through the pandemic, we've seen them overplay 
their hand and uh, you know, go so far beyond what was even uh, called for when we saw the months-long delay or months-long closures of schools and um, all of the, uh, you know, the, the, the intrusion that uh, the teachers' unions had into what was, what was coming out of the federal government in terms of recommendations. And so they have continued to actually do everything that's contrary to kids' best interests and have continued to call the shots um, and to their detriment, because now in states that have realized this and that have the uh, wherewithal and the political will to make the changes, they're taking control and they're putting families back in charge. It uh, it seems uh, like, uh, Ms. DeVos, that uh, the role of serving on a school board, that may be the most important political position in the country. Well, we're seeing a lot of folks getting involved in school board races, and this is important. This is going to make a difference as well. But the biggest difference is going to come when families are empowered to make these decisions and the money that that is used to fund a child's education actually follows the student rather than going to a building or a system. That is going to change the power dynamic and put it back where it should be with the student and their family. And we're going to have a lot better outcomes and a lot better uh, options and, and quality options because the marketplace will demand it. Parents and families will demand it. Kids will demand it. And you make this point uh, crystal clear in your book, Hostages No More, the Fight for Education, Freedom, and the Future of the American Child. I know this has been something that uh, you've advocated for, education choice and freedom. Uh, It seems like your entire professional uh, career. What's the main message in the book? Well, Gerard, this is a playbook for parents and policymakers to really use and see what we can do to change the dynamic and to change the quality of education for a kid's K-12 experience. And uh, it really does uh, lay out a vision for where we need to go based on many stories of places and, and, you know, individual buildings and, and groups of people who are getting it right for kids. And it's uh, like I said, it's a playbook. I hope that uh, I hope that folks will find it really useful, and um, I, I, I hope that lots of folks will read it and listen to it on audiobook. I read it on audiobook myself, so if you've got audiobook readers listening, um, you can buy that that way. But it is it really is uh, does lay out where where we have been and where we need to go for kids K twelve experiences. Are you concerned, uh, Ms. DeVos, about this uh, injection of so many social issues such as CRT and radical gender ideology in the schools? Is this disrupting and interfering with the, the education that we should be providing to our students? Yes, absolutely. And and those are, you know, some of the many things that have really raised uh, parents' attention around this. Uh, this is exactly why giving education freedom to all families will ultimately be the best way to combat these things, to change the direction, because schools are not going to continue to do things antithetical to what families and parents want when they have 
competitors who will um, happily take that child and happily educate them uh, around things that they need to know for the future, not a social engineering agenda. Right. And and we're seeing what seems to me to be a bit of selfishness out in Los Angeles, the second largest school district in the country. Well, your thoughts about that? No, absolutely. It is just inconceivable to me that uh, that this this particular um, city's teachers union is again striking. The kids who are there in Los Angeles are the ones getting hurt. Meanwhile, uh, you know they they have they were closed the longest of any school district right. in the country during COVID. They demanded the most in all kinds of. Uh, you know, they demanded concessions to go back to school, and and now they're out again. It is it's just inconceivable to me that this continues to happen in a country like America. It is another example of why parents are uh, not going to sit by and let this happen any longer. I hope that uh, the parents in California will rise up, no matter what party they're in, and say enough of this. We need to control our kids' education. It's beginning to transcend the party lines, is it not? Parents are, are starting to be behave like parents and not just partisans. Absolutely, and I would I, I would argue many grandparents are are seeing this and realizing it as well. Hmm. And it's why it, it it is why the momentum behind education freedom initiatives, state by state, is continuing to be on a roll. And uh, and we need to capitalize on that now. The window of opportunity is open to redirect the focus around students and send the, the funds with the students so that the, the families can decide the best place for them. Absolutely. No doubt about that. Uh, Madam Secretary, really appreciate you uh, coming to the state of Mississippi, being here, and uh, coming on Middays today. It's, it's been an honor and a pleasure to talk to you, ma'am. Thanks so much. Well, thank you so much, Gerard. You have a great day. You too. We're coming right back with more from the Element Well Studio. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Keep rolling. Three, two, one. On Super Talk Mississippi. from Madison says, excellent interview. I enjoyed that. I appreciate that, Ben, but uh, Secretary DeVos was, was excellent. And uh, very you could tell very passionate, very articulate, and very proficient on this matter. And, and I, honestly, Rhino, I can't remember until she was appointed into the position of Secretary of Education under Donald Trump. I don't know that there's ever been another president, Secretary of Education, 
that truly did advocate in a very publicly outspoken way the virtues of education choice. Not that I can remember. Well, I mean, that would be more than likely a conservative or Republican president and Bush. I don't think Bush ever really championed it. I think he might have spoken on it once or twice, but had never. the no child left behind. Him, yeah, which totally different. Not that's not really an education choice issue. I might even say it was a detriment. I exactly agree. So. Uh, Oh, yeah. Also on this 228, the secretary was an excellent guest. Would like to hear more of her thoughts sometime. Appreciate that, and we'll see what we can do. I I agree. I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. I I certainly enjoyed that, and um, I really appreciate her taking the time to join us. And thanks to our content director, Alex Payton, for setting that up. It's a lot of work on her part to make that happen, I can assure you. So we've got to pass something on to you probably aren't going to be happy about. That's the old ballot initiative here in the state of Mississippi. What is the status there, Rhino? It appears to be dead. As in dead, dead, dead. As in not going to happen this legislative session. Right. So that means the only, well, the next opportunity, not the only, the next opportunity would be the 24, November of 24, We go back to the polls, statewide ballot, because we're electing a U.S. senator. Senator Roger Wicker's seat is up. Plus, of course, we go back to elect the president and our members of the House. So it's big, big old election. Will we get a ballot initiative? Keep in mind, we're going to have a whole new legislature. I mean, new is in that we're going to the polls to, to vote on our senators and representatives and of course all the other statewide offices as well so we'll start a new term will and that and that's 4 years removed from the next one does that play into this i don't know what do you think folks um i think it'll be a testament to just how popular or wanted a ballot initiative really is as to how much pressure this puts on the legislators from their constituents. I agree. Totally. Hmm. I this, mean, if, if legislators' email inboxes all of a sudden start filling up with angry emails, polite but angry emails, saying, why didn't you get this done? And them having to explain to the constituents, that's going to be a sticky situation. Cause that's right. I would imagine the people that are really for the ballot initiative are feeling a little disappointed, a little let down today. So here's the thing. How will this play into the race where I think it's most applicable, and that's the race for lieutenant governor? I I can – I'm just speculating, just opining speculating that – Challenger Chris McDaniel will assert that present lieutenant governor, who also is the president of the Senate, blocked this, stood in the way of this. That he will he will assert that, I believe. I think it's a safe bet. Yeah. What the lieutenant governor does in response to that, honestly, I don't know. I really don't know. 
But it does seem like, given the fact that we got a bill out of the House last year, right, that, that couldn't get any traction in the Senate, this year the House said, if I'm, if I'm re- re- recounting this correctly, the House says, remember, Representative Shanks, a Constitution Committee chair, said, you know, we're not going to do anything. We're going to wait to see what the Senate does. No, no need to waste our time. We know where they stand. They know where we stand. So does not introduce a bill in the House. Let's the Senate introduce a bill. Senate does, comes out with a very high signature threshold, 240,000, more than double that of the, the present uh, requirement and double that of the bill that passed the House last year. And then the House comes back and says, no, we can't go for that, and it just got nowhere. So that's where we are. I would say that I think the lieutenant governor is going to have to come up with a better rationale for the higher count. I agree. Or I agree with the you. argument's not really going to fly. I tend to agree with you, and we can discuss that. Because he's, he's talked about it. He talked about it on our show, so we're not talking out of school here. We'll talk about it later on in the program. But it's time for a break. It is top of the hour. That means Fox News, Super Talk News, Rob Sigler. Opinion contributor, Super Talk Mississippi News, up next. Stay with us. Welcome to the show that challenges you to think deeply deeply. and look beyond political posturing. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. We are kicking off hour two of the program on this Friday Eve. Joining us now, Rob Sigler, opinion contributor, Super Talk Mississippi News. Rob, good to see you. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You bet. So you just published an article, Super Talk Mississippi News. You authored one entitled, It's Time to Address Gun Violence in Mississippi. What's the message here, Rob? Well, the message is that uh, once was a um, big city issue has now become a Mississippi issue and has continued to uh, grow as a problem uh, in communities throughout our state, in my opinion. And uh, I think we need to uh, address this issue that uh, we've uh, here in Mississippi for the most part have um, not necessarily ignored, but uh, have not taken as serious. Uh, when you look at some of the, the issues that take place in rural communities throughout our state, um, particularly involving our youth, um, I think that needs to be addressed. Right. And, and you're right. It seems like that to a great extent we see these reports uh, on the national media about these situations, these these uh, situations of reports of gun violence, I should say, uh, in in other areas out, outside of uh, our state, and we tend to think that sort of stuff just doesn't happen here. But there seems to have been an uptick. And what's most disturbing to me, Rob, is that we're seeing teenagers and young people uh, are are, exactly. are are both uh, 
the the perpetrators and the victims here. Right, and you're exactly right. When you see the type of gun violence that takes place in, for example, just recently in Lexington, Mississippi, right, um, where where you know teenagers were were um, in a parking lot and using AR-15 style weapons. I mean, that's that's an issue, and that's an issue for all of us. Uh, that's not just an issue in Jackson. It's not an issue in down here on the coast where I'm at. That's an issue for our entire state. And I think as as a state, as individuals, we need to address this problem and uh, let our young people know that there are consequences to your actions. And I think that's where in the issue really lies is, is at home, uh, in the schools, um, it's not uh, a legislative issue. It's not a political issue. It's not a Democrat Republican issue. It's an issue within our families. And we need to get those morals and values back to where they used to be when I was a teenager. Yeah. So, you know, the first thing that comes to mind, and, and uh, I certainly agree with you, is in, in not trying, trying to be, um, I guess, confrontational, but what families? That's the fundamental problem. Is what families? Right. When you think about the number of kids in the state and our country that are that are born into fatherless homes that live in fatherless homes uh, that are born to teenagers, uh, this is to me got to be a major contributing factor to the uptick of of violence and and just other social issues. I totally agree with you, and it's and it's up to our communities our uh, advocates for um, uh, our youth to do something about it. I, I, I commend places like Vicksburg, where I was once the editor of the paper there. Um, Mayor George Flags has taken the initiative in trying to do something about curbing um, crime and violence with our youth within their community. And uh, hopefully they can get something going and maybe it can be an example for the rest of the state. Well, as you know, you can't you can't legislate morality. You certainly can't legislate the traditional nuclear family. But but what can we do? I I don't. I just feel so helpless on this. I feel like I want to help, but I'm not sure what I can do. I I can't serve as a father in these homes, and I don't think any message coming from a person like me. On, on what kind of risk and danger and problems and responsibilities are associated with being a parent to try to deter some of this, what can we do? That, that's a good question. I wish I had that answer also. Um, I think it's up to people um, within our communities, our elected officials, to come up with some of those answers to have something for our youth to do. Um, you know, many schools have, you know, uh, athletic activities, um, things of that nature, and I commend. There's a there's a ton of teachers and coaches and, and people like that who have the best interests of our children in mind. Um, but there's not enough of them, and uh, I think it's up to all of us to try to come up with that answer to determine what we can do to um, to help our youth become um, you know better citizens. Because an issue like this is just not something that affects a few folks. If it affects everything, it, it affects our economy. It affects tourism. It affects uh, everything. Every as- aspect of our lives is affected by um, gun violence, in particular, you know, crime 
and gun violence with our youth. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And we're seeing uh, more flight out of our capital city, uh, not just residents, right. but now we're starting to see more of an exodus of, of businesses, which is the exact opposite of what the capital city needs. It needs it needs the tax base. It it needs um, exactly. it it needs uh, quality businesses to uh, keep the good quality traffic flowing into the city. And and this flight, it just seems to be ignored by city leaders, and they don't seem to take it seriously. And the legislature tries I, to step I, in. So, what do you think about that? I totally agree with you. Um, they they need to um, find uh, methods that will help in, um, in curbing that violence and um, keeping those those jobs and uh, those um, those businesses in Jackson and within the surrounding areas of Jackson as well. Um, but you know, it's going to take take everyone to do it. It's not just you know going to be one person or, or uh, elected officials to do it. It's going to take communities to do this. I think there's a there's kind of a, a prevailing attitude across the state, Rob, and, and get your thoughts on this, that, well, it's just Jackson. They don't know what they're doing. Let it die. Mm-hmm. But the fact is it's a capital city, and uh, it's also houses our airport, our major airport in the state, and it, that pulls in a lot of visitors. And if they're doing business around the metro area, quite often they've got to travel through the city. That doesn't put forth the, necessarily the best impression. I've personally dealt with that in my business career, having people come in from all over the country. And you almost feel like you, you've got to sort of make excuses for it. And it shouldn't be that way. Right. It, it shouldn't be that way at all. Um, your capital city should be a, a, a shining light for the entire state. And um, um, people need to realize that this is an important aspect of, of Mississippi, is that the city of Jackson be that uh, shining light for for the rest of us to be proud of. And um, we should get behind any efforts to help curb um, the violence and crime that takes place in Jackson. And um, even down, down here on the coast, people on the coast need to do the same thing. They need to... Um, realize that Jackson's a vital, important piece of, um, of, our, of our state. And it's not just a Jackson issue, it's a state issue. Anything legislatively from our state elected officials you'd like to see happen, Rob? Um, I, I, I think they should be more involved in, in community development type stuff for children, for our youth to be involved in, uh, promote more um, extracurricular activities to uh, help help our, our kids uh, have something to do. Because a lot of this, you know, is like you say, is, is fatherless homes, but it's also, you know, kids and teenagers don't have as much to do yeah. uh, in their communities. And so they find whatever is easiest to do. And, and oftentimes that's that's crime um, and, fills and the gun void. violence. So. Just fills the void. Exactly. I mean, exactly. Uh, we, we've all been through... Uh, that phase of our life, you're always looking for the the next thing. You know what's the next good time, right. and so and so often now this is just kind of crime seems to pique their interest. They get pressured by their peers, and off they go. Exactly, and, and you know when I was when I was a kid in high school, I went to Harrison Central down here on the coast in the in the 80s, and uh, it didn't seem like. 
there there was this issue of of crime among my peers at that time. So, right. um, you know, it, it, something's got to change, and hopefully it'll be changing sooner than later. Rob, it's a great piece you wrote at uh, Super Talk Mississippi News, and appreciate you joining us here on Thanks. Middays today. Take care. Thank you. My pleasure. Take care. We're coming right back in the Element Well Studios with more of Middays. Please stay with us. With Gerard Gibbert. What? What? This is so awesome. On Super Talk Mississippi. So, a fresh report from Walmart. Walmart plans to lay off hundreds of workers at its e-commerce fulfillment centers. They're being asked to, quote, find jobs within 90 days at other company locations. So they are giving them an opportunity to apply for work elsewhere within the company. About 200 workers at Pedrickstown, New Jersey, hundreds of others at Fort Worth, Texas, Chino, California, Davenport, Florida, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, were let go due to a reduction or elimination in evening and weekend shifts, said a Walmart spokesperson. Hmm. This uh, the the CEO of Walmart said we recently adjusted staffing levels to better prepare for the future needs of customers. Says it would work closely with affected associates to find jobs at other locations. So what I still feel is going to happen is with the Fed raising. The Fed funds rate by a quarter point yesterday, and and in the wake of some of the turmoil in the banking industry, I think we're going to see significant tightening of credit. It's going to be more difficult for businesses, consumers, to get loans. And that, of course, will have an impact on the macro economy. You'll start to see consumer spending slow and it's it look it's it's regional sometimes it's local it just depends but overall across the country if you aggregate it all i think you're going to see it start to decline and that in fact is what will cause inflation to retreat more so than powell's interest rate hikes less demand Folks start selling stuff for a lower cost. 
You saw where Dollar General, they might as well be $2 General now. And they're not selling eggs. Discontinued selling eggs because it doesn't fit within their dollar price model. Because you can't buy eggs anymore. Or was that Dollar Tree? I think it's Dollar... You know, one of the dollar stores. I think it's Dollar General. Eggs. Yeah, they discontinued the sale of eggs. They're no longer carrying eggs. Incredible. But yesterday, <laughs> Corrine Jean-Pierre, <laughs> don't roll your eyes... <laughs> She wanted to assure you that the economy is in great shape, and it's because of this president and his policies. you got to be kidding me. Where do they come up with this garbage? So then today, you know, we got this debt ceiling thing looming out there. And a couple of days ago, I should say, the White House called the House Freedom Caucus's budget proposal a, quote, five-alarm fire. <laughs> this would endanger American safety, returning to 2022 spending levels. That would put us all at risk. You can't just spend $1.4 trillion on discretionary means. You've got to spend 1.7. <laughs> Incredible. Were we unsafe in 2022 at that level? I mean, more than we are or less? I, I think it's about the same. I don't see how that affected it. The White House referred to the conservative GOP group, that would be the House Freedom Caucus, as extreme MAGA Republicans. What is a MAGA Republican? <laughs> Biden said the proposal would be a, quote, disaster for families in at least five key ways that include endangering public safety, raising costs for families. You see, we just got through having this discussion with Rob about the dissolution of the family. The president should be concerned about that. Where are the families? Not It's always the cost of families as, is, as if every consumer, every citizen in the country has got this just all-go-to-work, happy, postcard-type family. That's just not the case. In fact, if that were the case, we'd have a whole lot of hell fewer problems. Says... Shipping manufacturing jobs overseas and undermining American workers, weakening national security and hurting seniors. That's what, those are the five key areas. Do they have like a, just a word bank on a dartboard? <laughs> and they just give old Uncle Joe some darts, let him throw them at the board, and then they mad libs his statement around that? I guess. Biden says... The Freedom Caucus, and I'm serious when I'm going to tell you this, the Freedom Caucus budget would defund the police. That's what he said. Make communities less safe. It would eliminate 400 local law enforcement positions. Why is the federal government funding local law enforcement positions? And it would also impose a hiring freeze at the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives. 
said it would scale back rail safety inspections. It would jeopardize air safety and increase airport security wait times by an average of 30 minutes because it would shut down services at 125 air traffic control towers across the country. See, here's the problem. That's what he tells you, of course. And yeah, if you cut the money to that, it is true. Those towers would be unmanned. But there's other incredible waste occurring elsewhere in the budget that could be cut that nobody would miss. In fact, we'd benefit from it. So that we could pay for things like manning control towers at airports, which we need, which provide value. And Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg said, quote, there have been more mistakes than usual in the U.S. air travel after dozens of close calls. Dude, that's you. You're responsible. The buck stops with you. You. Does he not get that? So he's pawning this off on the Freedom Caucus? That their budget would exacerbate that? This happened under your watch, you fool. You've done nothing about it. And then Biden nominates this head of the FAA that couldn't name the airspace categories. Didn't know what caused an airplane to stall. Oh, but he checked the boxes, right? He checked the physical characteristics box. We got an inclusive FAA administrator, but airplanes may fall out of the sky under his watch. That's how we roll. It's the insanity of intersectionality. No doubt. The White House said on Monday the Republicans would need to eliminate everything in the rest of the federal budget if they want to balance the budget in 10 years without raising taxes on the wealthy and corporations. That's always the solution. And that's what he's really talking about. It's not the spending aspect of it. What Joe is saying is, you got to raise taxes. i got to go get more money from the people. i got to have it. Because I and Robert Wright... We know more how to spend your money. Pete Buttigieg, Liz Warren, Schumer, and the whole gang, Pelosi. Yeah, just send them your money. It's in good hands. Oh, they're great fiduciaries, aren't they? While they blast the banks. I blast them, too. You know what, though? They follow the Democrat playbook. That's why SVB went broke. So I did that. So, by the way, you got executives who are compensated based on revenue, so they go buy these higher interest-bearing, longer-duration bonds, knowing that they're taking a huge risk, knowing that. But it boosted the bank's income short-term so they could get fat, juicy bonuses. This is why I support what's called mark-to-market. If you had to mark U.S. Treasuries to market, They would realize significant revenue losses, and there would be no stupid bonuses. You got bonuses, and then your business went bankrupt. That just don't add up. The average person says, what the hell? Unbelievable. Mark-to-market is what we need in the banking sector. Historically, we've not applied that standard, that concept, to U.S. Treasuries. But when we got a dang 
Jerome Powell that just raises rates by four and a half points from zero to four and a half, four point seven five in a little over a year. You need mark to market. Coming right back on middays from the Element Well Studios. Attention, adoring fans! It's time for Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Tree, not Dollar General. Stop selling eggs. So I was wrong about that. Appreciate the correction on the ceasefire text line. There was some other news on Dollar General, and I can't remember what it was, but it, it was something to the effect that they're struggling finding stuff they can sell and kind of keep their name intact. There's <laughs> the Dollar General. Wow. Shooting so common in the Delta, they don't even make the news on the ceasefire text line. Of course, Thomas always thinks that anytime there's any discussion about gun violence, that it it, it always uh, gives rise to the to the pursuit of gun restrictive legislation. Totally false, Thomas. Uh, you're obsessed with that man. You're just wrong. No. What do you suggest we do? Just let people kill each other like they are now? There's deep-rooted societal problems that need to be addressed. I, uh, I mean, there's got to be some reasonable, reasonable regs on that. We could certainly debate what's reasonable. My guess is what you would consider reasonable is considerably more generous than what others would. Just a guess. That's just based on your discussion of and thoughts about anything pertaining to restrictions on guns, I suspect you would probably be okay without any sort of background checks whatsoever. Any sort of restrictions? I've never seen you actually uh, offer any support for any restrictions. Should there be age restrictions? Just let anybody at any age purchase a firearm? Anywhere, as many as they want, with any firepower whatsoever. I mean, like buy nuclear. I've asked this before to people. Should you be able to buy a nuclear bomb if somebody would sell it to you? It's uh, it's a tough one. Paul and Meridian, what is his solution? You heard what Rob said. He wish he had one. I agree. You can't legislate morality. You can, of course, implement laws that you hope deter bad behavior, but apparently that ain't working out very well because it seems to be taking hold. I'm honestly not sure that a lot of this T-38 
teenage gun violence we're seeing, I'm not sure the teenagers truly understand what the consequences are. I really, I, and there's, I think the other fundamental issue is just a diminishing of the value of life. I don't think it's taught. I don't think it's, it's really not so much taught. I don't, I don't think it's acquired the way it seems like it used to. I saw a report where a six-year-old shot a teacher. Saw that somewhere in the country. Yeah, um, it's been a while now. A couple of weeks, I think, right? You think it's been longer than that? I it's, think so. Yeah, okay. And that's kind of bizarre. How does a six-year-old get a gun? How do they get it to, into school? Yeah, it happened in uh, January. Okay. And uh, the teacher is just now getting out of recovery after having several surgeries. and It was rough. Said, I believe she covered her chest with her hand. And that deflected the bullet somewhat, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but it's just bizarre that this sort of stuff. Who could imagine that? Six-year-old with a gun in a classroom shooting a teacher. Bizarre. Chris from Oxford says we're going to eventually have to rename it the $2 tree. Yeah. Tim in Cleveland says Walmart is laying off paid staff because they want you to work for free. So ring up your own purchases. I disagree with that, Tim. First, they're they're letting people go from their e-commerce facilities. That has nothing to do with the retail stores at this point. But I suspect that's coming as business declines. They just need fewer staff. I personally like the self-checkout. I go for the self-checkout. They're always open. It's incredibly efficient. Works great. I love it. And if it allows them to keep their costs down and and, um, pass that on, I'm all for it. I like the Amazon model that they've implemented in some of the Whole Foods where you just Basket up all your your goods, your selections, and you've got an Amazon account. You just walk out and it charges it. You seen that? Oh yeah, that's where it's going, no doubt. So I, I don't really, I, I mean, paying people to check you out. Honestly, it's not really producing a lot for society, in my view. Uh, so I, I like it. The insanity of intersectionality. Rhino, drop the mic and walk away. Both of you, great radio, Jace from Chickasaw. Appreciate that, Jace. Yeah, that was excellent. It is the insanity of intersectionality. That's exactly what's going on. And it's applying across the spectrum of society. That's what's disturbing about it. I remember when I was in school, says Neil from Pontotoc, they used to march in some prisoners from parchment every year and scare the hell out of us and make us not want to go to prison. Yeah, I agree. I do, too. You you may be familiar with the rather famous documentary, Scared Straight. Oh, yeah. Most people are familiar with that. That, by the way, was was, uh, filmed at Rahway State Prison. I think I talked about that before. Been there a few times. It's in the state of New Jersey. It's iconic. Rahway State Prison. It is excellent. We probably ought to revisit that. Maybe produce an updated version. Although, that message still applies today. It was pretty good. Pretty impactful. 
Hard to watch that and not, I think, not be influenced. It was good. Elderly and disabled need assisted checkout, sir, says Charles in Matheson. Well, they don't if when they walk out, it's automatically charged to their account. That's where it's headed. But I'm with you. I'm not trying to discount that. Although, I, you know, I, I think about uh, encountering elderly and disabled. I see them in the self-checkout line. Folks in, like, wheelchairs, for example. You see them in the checkout line, right? In the oh, self-checkout yeah. line. I don't, I don't know that there's – I'd have to think through that. Is there – I mean, there may be some concern about operating the machines, I guess, for present-day elderly, but – so the coming generations, the rising generations, they're a lot more self-sufficient and a lot more comfortable using those sorts of tools. In fact, they expect it in virtually everything they do, all aspects of their life. But certainly if I encountered an elderly or a disabled person, I think most of our good listeners would be in the same camp. I'd help them at, at a self-checkout. But I'm thinking I, I can... I can uh, recall seeing them also using the self-checkout. If they're in such a situation where they can't, there are people there that would help them with that as well. But instead of having one person per per machine, you got one person for a dozen. And, the, and, the, and they're sit, usually idle, waiting for an issue to pop up. Which is fairly rare. I mean, those systems are rock solid, honestly. Uh, Depends on how well they're maintained. Yeah. I guess Walmart, Kroger would be the two that I can think of I use the most. And I I rarely encounter an issue with any of that. It's it's, um, pretty solid. Let's see. Rick in Gulfport, putting any number or price reference in a company name has often caused the company's stock to find a price ceiling near that number. Weird, but it's not uncommon. I'm really not following you there, Rick. Like Dollar General, Dollar Tree. Oh, I see. Just the brand itself? Yeah. Well, but that brand has been very effective for them, because that's what you expect. When you walk in there, all kind of stuff you can get for a dollar. Well, in in fairness, when they started, a dollar went a lot farther. That's right. Inflation got their name, right? <laughs> Could say that. Uh, if paying checkout people gives people a job, then we need more of those jobs. It's a bad thing if we lose those jobs. Totally disagree with that. Plenty of jobs other than that that we need people doing. That's the whole issue of upskilling and getting prepared and taking advantage of tools to do the jobs most necessary by society. And as Rhino said, the threat of artificial intelligence is, is targeted at professionals. Six-figure income people. They're the ones got to worry. Uh, no doubt about that. That's widely documented. But that opens up new opportunities. That's just been the way that it, 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 the, um, the evolution of novel technology and the way it has impacted the job market for as long as it's been doing it. We're coming right back with the final segment of Hour 2 on Middays. Please stay with us. 
Come on. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. All right, we are back on Super Talk Mississippi. We're back in the Element Well Studios. I did want to pass this on. I have a very, very close friend, honestly like a brother to me, that is uh, right now undergoing open-heart surgery. I uh, had experienced a mild heart attack over the weekend, mm. and uh, there was an attempt to insert a stent, and... I don't know all the details, but he was told by the doctors, may or may not be able to do this. We won't know until we get started on the procedure, and it was determined, yeah, this isn't the right route. We're going to have to do open-heart surgery. So that is happening today at this time, and I am uh, in touch with his spouse uh, seeking an update. Went and spent about three hours with him after the show uh, Tuesday. He is... uh, in good spirits, and it's it's kind of weird, Rhino. He just experienced a little pain, but it was in the right shoulder. And went to the local clinic, thinking, I just need something for the pain here. And so the physician, I think out of an abundance of caution, which they should do, said, you know, just humor me, let's do an EKG. She said, you're having a heart attack. He said, what? I mean, He's laughing about it, literally. So she brought in her colleague, another physician, you know, which makes sense in a situation like that. Yeah, you're having a heart attack. You're going to the hospital right now. Literally, that's what happened. And so he uh, he ends up in the ICU. Uh, I mean, he's totally cognizant, awake. Looks fine. He doesn't look like a person that has just suffered a heart attack. You know, he's got all his color, I guess. But nonetheless, nothing you want to play with, obviously. And he's kind of fortunate it manifested that way. It did ultimately transfer, by the way, to his left. He told me that. Showed. Went from the right, sort of started there. I didn't realize until he shared that the physician said sometimes, especially in a male, that could indicate some sort of gallbladder problem. Didn't know that. And that obviously wasn't the case. And So undergoing that right now. And, uh, That's why they call it the practice of medicine. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. So Everybody's a little bit different, and it's really an educated guess, but it's a very well-educated guess. The cool thing is, as you know, and he explained this to me, they brought a mobile sonogram system into his room. I didn't even know that existed. And this particular this device uh, has different settings that the operator uh, uses determined on what they're going to scan. So literally it has a whole process and sets up differently depending on the, the area of the body you're going to scan. So you say, yeah, I'm scanning the heart. Is kind of the way it was described. And they did that right there in the room. It's amazing. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's got to calibrate for whatever it's looking for and what it's looking through or around or trying not to look through. Yeah, exactly. His prognosis is good. I uh, expect to be in the hospital for uh, about five days post-surgery. 
I was told, yeah, after cutting your chest open, you're going to have some pain, as you oh, would expect, yeah. after that. So, But he's, he's in my thoughts and prayers today, and I'm going to check in with him. I don't think they'll allow any visitors today, but I'll I'll be back to see him. Robert Brandon says, prayers for your friend. Appreciate that. So Tim in Cleveland says, I'm glad you're okay with eliminating starter jobs and with moving us toward a government-controlled digital currency. Well, Tim, that's an incredible stretch, man. First of all, the market determines what jobs are needed and what jobs aren't. Not me. You don't just say, hey, we're eliminating all these jobs. Because here's the deal, Tim. If Walmart said, we're, for example, using them as an example, we're getting rid of all our checkout people. We only offer self-checkout. Would their business suffer? Probably. I think pro- at this point today, at this point in time, probably. I think it depends on where it is. I'm pretty sure there are already Walmarts like that. I, I agree. But I'm, I'm speaking from the point of reference of here in Mississippi, um, where I think most Walmarts, if not all, have a combination. I haven't been in every Walmart in the state, but there's a combination. Certainly the ones I frequent in the metro area are, two in particular. Uh, the market would speak, and they'd adjust. That's how it works. It's not It's not a matter of we're just getting rid of starter jobs. I mean, that that's silly. That's not what's happening here. But the market... I mean, there's a dozen other jobs in the store they could do as right. a starter job. Plenty. In fact, I would wager the starter job would actually be pushing the buggies back in from outside before they ever let you handle money at the register. But if your job is repetitive and doesn't require a great deal of human discernment, it's at risk. But there are just all kinds of new jobs sprouting up that you can't even comprehend that are more opportunistic, which is why it's so important that we all get good educations and be prepared to learn new skills and and. And come to grips with the fact that you're constantly learning new skills if you want to be successful in future society. How in the world does that go to digital currency? No idea. has nothing to do with that. Coming right back, final hour, the third hour of Middays uh, in the Element Well Studio. Get ready. Get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone, to Middays Live from the Element Wealth Studios. Today on In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, you'll hear an interview with Ben Johnson, a hit songwriter and Mississippi native. At one point last year, Ben had six of his songs, wow, in the top 20 of the country billboard, all at the same time. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar is presented by VisitMississippi.org. You can hear the show each Thursday and Friday, 1 to 2 p.m. on most Supertalk Mississippi stations, supertalk.fm, and available everywhere you listen to podcasts. Also, we got some tickets to give away later on in the program for Three Doors Down. Ain't that right? I think so, yeah. Yeah, I oh, believe yeah. so, yeah. 
Also, uh, I'm going to be at the Communiversity next week in Starkville. That'll be next Tuesday. Be talking to you about the Lowndes County Job Fair in conjunction with the Governor's Job Fair Network. That's middays with moi next Tuesday at the Communiversity. I enjoyed that last year. That is a fascinating place, and we need to replicate that, I do believe, across the state of Mississippi. Kyle says, people used to not have to pump their own gas. Yeah, that's true. Uh, The state of New Jersey still, because of union pressure, still does not allow self-service. I think it may be the only state in the country. I'm not mistaken. Was it Oregon that was the other one? Maybe so. Maybe there are two. I think Oregon passed a bill that would allow you to pump your own gas if you're in rural areas. Okay. Yeah. So it's 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 unions. And think about what that experience used to consist of. You would, uh, of course, sit in your car, and uh, an attendant would come see you, and you tell them what you wanted. They'd put the gas in, and you would you would pay either with a credit card or, and back then and. In my younger days, it was a gas credit card, you know, issued by the, the gas company, the, the fuel company, uh, and or cash. But they then would have to go inside the station to deal with the cash attendant that operated the cash register to make change for your cash, bring it back to you. Or if it was a credit card, they'd have to go in. And uh, Or sometimes they could do it right there at the island. They'd have the little uh, device where they'd swipe your card manually. Remember, on the three-part carbon paper. Yeah. <laughs> right. And you'd sign it, and they'd tear it apart. How inefficient all that was. Just painful. And that was if they trusted you had enough on the card. Well, that's true. If not, they had to go in and call them. That's and a say, hey, good point. Can they afford this? Because you didn't have systems and connectivity real-time to tell you whether or not you were current on your account and had sufficient credit limit to make the purchase. It's a good point. So think about how that's changed. All for the better. So what it did is it gave rise to convenience stores. A lot of people just pull up to the pumps, buy gas, never go in the store. Don't need to. Do all your business right there. Pretty efficient. So uh, it's just natural evolution how technology just impacts society, and in this case, an industry turned it upside down for the better. And And now there are convenience stores where there's not a single person on site. Absolutely true. You can pay for your fuel at the pump. You can go inside and get any of the snacks or anything because it's just all vending machines. Yeah, absolutely true. Sure cut down on gas drive-offs. That's absolutely right. So who was it that, uh, on the ceasefire text line, Rhino, that uh, made us aware of that, what we're talking about with respect to the pump-your-own-gas? Somebody did. I just wanted to point that out. Mark Forum, he says... Yeah, they'd check your oil, tire pressure, wash your windshield. They would, but 
I don't need them to do all that, honestly. Kyle that pointed out the uh, oh, appreciate that full Kyle. service gas. Yep. Uh, I, you know, I got I got a machine in my car that tells me if I need oil. Most people do these days. You don't have to pull the stick to do that anymore. But back then, it was they'd pop the hood, do all that. Uh, tire pressure. I got gadgets in my car. Most modern vehicles have for a long time. Tell you what the pressure is down to the pound in every tire. Unless I'm it's at an cool. actual dealership or a mechanic that just so happens to have this particular equipment, you can't check the transmission fluid on my car. It doesn't come with a dipstick, and the dipstick that? you have to use is anywhere from 50 to 80 bucks if you buy it from the manufacturer. Right. So all these sensors... Three and a half feet long. <laughs> all these sensors on these vehicles now will notify you, right? And, and um, I got a notification when I was flying back last week while I was in the air, said somebody was tampering with my vehicle. Like... Security issue. I, I didn't think that sounded right, but it could have been somebody just got close to it. I don't know how sensitive the sensors are. So I just simply launched the app that allows me to control my vehicle and just relocked it, is what I did, and said, Yep, all's good. And sure enough, I got there, all was good. It's pretty cool. And there's lots more technology coming along. Those lines as well, with respect to that. As long as the sensors are working properly, well, they generally do, though. I mean, of course, you could apply that to anything that's technology-driven, but it's pretty dang reliable, honestly. I mean, mean, usually when a sensor goes out, it throws a code. Tells you. And and lets you know, hey, check engine. Yeah, absolutely. Jeff in Grenada says Oregon doesn't, at least last time I traveled there. I assume, Jeff... Oregon doesn't allow folks to pump their own gas. Is that what you're saying? Because I know New Jersey. I, I lived there for a couple of years and remember that. Ben from Madison, others uh, offered their prayers for my friend. I really appreciate that as well. In the 70s, high school days, you were envied for having an afternoon and weekend job. They act like they, they're embarrassed to work nowadays. Sure does seem like we have sort of diminished the value of work, have we not? Yeah. We're, we demonize victims of crime. Seems like we go out of our way to protect criminals, and we've diminished the value of work. Nice. Cat burglar jumped on your car, says Andy Jackson. Well, I was thinking if, if locking it fixed it, it could have been something as simple as someone with a similar model vehicle hit their button, and it was close to yours, but not quite, and it thought, hey, maybe there's somebody trying to figure it out. It could be, and I don't know that it necessarily fixed it. I mean, when I when I launched the app, it said everything was okay, but just for the heck of it, I just relocked it, just issued the lock command, and it came back, said all's good, and the lock worked properly, and that kind of gave me confidence that at that point it was it was good to go. What kind of car do you have, Gerard, on the ceasefire tax line? Is that important? I don't mind. I have a Cadillac Escalade. This is my fifth one, I think. I think he's asking because not all vehicles have an app that you can access. I see. I see. That makes sense. But, geez, um, you know, I'm more familiar with GM, their OnStar service. I think every vehicle. Because I actually have 
access to my my wife and my children's vehicles, all of which are GM. In full disclosure, my father-in-law worked at a GM dealership down in Biloxi, so we're a GM family, obviously. Uh, Gary Meridian says, if you're ever needing oil or transmission fluids checked, you will need to drive to Washington, D.C., where all the dipsticks have been located. Gotcha. <laughs> Gary in the Berg, why does it seem that the Democrats are always on offense and conservatives on defense? Democrats own phrases and words that are repeated. This is in reference uh, to the story I, I shared a, a minute ago. Which which story was that that I was going through all the language and you said this is all the intersectionality at play here? Uh, Republicans have no rebuttal that gains any traction. They also raise way more money, and this is hard to overcome. Until this changes, it's going to be a tough time, especially with young voters. Yeah, that's a good point, Gary, and they, they do seem to seize on. I think this is when I was talking about the president's blasting of the uh, the Freedom Caucus's budget plan. Five alarm fire! <laughs> what they called it. Yeah, I, I hear you, Gary, and, and maybe we just need to get a great deal more creative. I, I think where we really got our hat handed to us is uh, when Barack Obama ran. I mean, the Democrats really proved how effective they could be using the Internet at that time, which was kind of a new phenomenon, a new tool in in running a campaign, and the Republicans really stunk at it. I think they woke up. They're a lot better. But I hear you, Gary. No doubt about it. We're coming right back here in the Element Well Studios. We've got some tickets for Three Doors Down to give away. Stay with us. Covering the stories that matter most to Mississippians. Gerard Gibbert. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk Mississippi. in the Element Well Studios. It is middays. Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. Speaking of Element Wealth, the Dow down, or now up 217, down from its high of the session. It was once above 400 points. The Senate Intelligence Committee is grilling the TikTok CEO at this moment. Hmm. There is certainly some in Washington who want to totally ban the use of TikTok across these United States. Some states already have taken such action. On government on, on government, right. It doesn't apply to the public at large, but certainly employees of the government using government devices cannot have the app installed. So they've got the CEO up there right now 
Mark Warner, the Democrat from, from Virginia, heads the Intelligence Committee, is presiding over the uh, the inquiry, the hearing with the TikTok CEO. See where that goes. I'm not really sure. Now, there's some bipartisan support. There's some bipartisan opposition. Not an issue that typically comes up, where you typically see that, I should say. Those are pretty rare. Well, there's uh, opponents and proponents from both sides of the aisle of a, of a major issue like this. Interesting. The CEO has had to admit so far that the Chinese ownership does have access to American user data. Well, I, I don't think we're surprised, of course, at that. Uh the question is, what are they doing with that data, right? And why are they doing that, more importantly? It's it's fairly ingenious on their part. They, they create this software, this app, this experience that addicts people. It's a 21st century Trojan horse. That's exactly what it is. That's a great way to put it. Not to be confused with the malicious software term Trojan horse, although it's similar. Yeah. Surely you can figure out some way to include the uh, word intersectionality in that analysis, can you not? <laughs> oh, gosh. But, yeah. Let's see here. On the ceasefire text line, Reese Clarksdale says, full service and 40 cents a gallon in 1968. Yeah, the good old days, except Reese what were we making back then? Right? 200 bucks a week, maybe? Maybe. I don't know what the per capita or, or household income was in 1968, but I bet it's 10 grand a year or something. Median household income in 1968 was $7,700. I overestimated by three grand. 7000 You can't buy health insurance for $7,700 today. It's all relative. So the the question, the more meaningful analysis is, how much of your money did you spend on these various uh, spending items, if you think about it, that were available then that are still available today that you got to have? Obviously, gas being one of them. You had to have gas at 68, you got to have it today. Well, I guess you don't have to have it, but it's a, it's a commodity that, most people were buying in 68 that they're buying today, 60 years later, roughly. The minimum hourly wage in 1968 was $1.60. Yeah. Well, I remember in 1972 working for like a buck 70 or something and uh, working pretty hard for that, too. I think I told you I was a janitor at Laurel Lanes for two summers. I used to run the counter there going back to, like, the ninth grade. And then when I went off to college, couldn't do that anymore. But I came home in the summers, and I cleaned the whole place up by myself for a minimum wage. It was like two and a quarter or something in 76, 77. Seems like it. That's the number that comes to mind. Um, I guess you could call that an entry-level job, maybe, because I was doing it for minimum wage, and I was a poor college kid. What was it back then? Two and a quarter? 190? Something like that. 1977. 
clean that whole place up by myself. Let's see. Two thirty was minimum wage okay. in nineteen seventy seven. Pretty close, said two and a quarter. Um, Logan's is closing all two hundred and sixty one steakhouses. Wow. So we reported a couple of weeks ago, right, the backyard burgers closing all their metro area stores, except the one in Madison still open. But there's rumor, at least buzz, that they're going to shut down totally. Uh, yep, Walmart's closed some stores. You may have seen that. Target's closed some stores. I think this is uh, all a sign of a deteriorating economy. I don't think there's any question about that. I think people are pulling back, and this is starting to have an impact. Gary Meridian reminds most folks only had one vehicle in 1968. That's a good point. Gary, and the fuel efficiency was about a third of what it is now. That's true. Gary uh, from Tishomingo, when I got married in 76, I was making around 225 a week. I saw on Decades last night that March 22, 1985 broke the 80 cent per gallon mark. Days long gone by, says William and Brandon. I still think that the meaningful analysis, I've not done this or researched it, would be to see again how much, how your money was allocated. Are you spending more on gas now as a percentage of your either gross pay or net pay? Well, I mean, you can simplify it with the 1968 numbers. If it's 40 cents a gallon and the minimum wage is a buck sixty yeah. per hour, then 15 minutes of work bought you a gallon of gas. Okay. So the minimum wage today is seven and a quarter. Correct. Right. So if you're working eight you hours, work a day, half an hour to get a gallon of gas. Right. There you go. And then you add the little nuance of fuel efficiency, where fuel efficiency was. A third in 68. True. So you're, go, you're able to go farther with that gallon of gas now. That's true. So you'd have to you'd have to sort of aggregate what your total expenditures are, assuming you had the same amount of travel to get something that would be meaningful. But I think that, that tells you a lot. At least that. get your foot in the door. But, you, you know, you'd also have to think into taking into consideration the number of people earning minimum wage back then versus today. In the oh, pop- yeah, it was a much higher percentage of the right. population. Right. That That's the uh, that's the nuance that the left won't ever tell you. Living wage, they got to make a living wage. And then when you drill down into it, there's so few people in the country that actually earn the federal minimum wage. Most are teenagers is what you come away with. We've done that analysis before. We've been through that exercise. The Bureau of Labor Statistics publishes all that. Yeah, as of 2021, which is the latest full data that they've analyzed, yeah, there are 1.1 million Americans, or 1.4% of all hourly paid workers, working for minimum wage. Yeah. Exactly. And the other thing you'll hear them say is, but they're working two jobs, and then when you do the research on that, you find out that the period in history where we had most more people working two jobs than ever was during the Clinton administration. You and I did, we looked it up. Remember yep. that? We were a little stunned to find that out. And we couldn't really figure out why. Why was it in that that 90s period there that that more people were working two jobs than at any other point in history, before or after? But if you listen to 
AOC is the one that likes to pound that. They're having to work two jobs just to stay afloat. Well, and, and she makes the point that it was Trump, Trump that caused that, Trump's policies. That's the main point she tries to make. Well, that's not true. It's simply not true. Our old buddy Robert Reich, as Rush used to say, he had an interesting uh, post where he said, this has always been the GOP strategy, cut taxes for the wealthy and corporations by claiming they'll pay for themselves, explode the deficit, threaten privatization or cuts for Social Security and Medicare, repeat. Don't let them get away with it, is what he said. Except he's wrong about all that, you see. Because, Robert, with the Trump tax cuts, we produced record revenues the last two years. So that's wrong. Uh, they actually they don't pay for themselves because you won't stop spending. Explode the deficit, that's because you won't stop spending. They never see it as a function of radical, irresponsible spending. It's always, you don't tax enough. That's what produces the deficit. And then threaten privatization or cuts to Social Security? No. We just want to fix it. You don't want to. You don't have a plan. It's going to die if there's not a fix for it. Coming right back with some tickets to give away. Bring it on. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi. The great Rick Astley is a guy that doesn't look anything like his voice. Would you agree? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and most people associate this song with getting pranked. And I feel bad for him because, I mean, it's a catchy song. It is catchy. Just nobody ever seems to actually play it for it being a song anymore. They <laughs> play it to prank their friends. That's true. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, man, I like that. Uh, I remember my mom complaining when gas would move up a penny at the pump and save. Yeah. Agree. I mean, there was one point in time where the price of gas per gallon was painted on the side of the building because it didn't change all that often. Yeah, that's exactly right. It was more permanent. That is true. Interesting. Speaking of China, I see we ban Chinese buying land in Mississippi, says Thomas and Greenwood. Does it limiting the pool of buyers lower the price of land? Uh, it does. It, you know, it's a tough one. If uh, just it depends on how concerned you are about the Chinese owning American land. Would they put it to nefarious use? Would they be malicious in the use of that land? I don't know. Should we sell them? Armaments? Weapons? Nuclear bombs? I mean, that, you could say that taking them out of the pool of buyers... I think it could be argued that land is more valuable than any armament. Sure. Because they're not making any more land. Very true. I think a lot of folks are concerned that they're trying to gobble up land that's next to military installations and stuff like that. It's kind of like the balloon that, oh, just got out of control, but... 
happened to find its way over lots of our military facilities. Joel from Loosedale says food stamp recipients were also loved during the Clinton administration. That, that's true, Joel, but I, I think if you took a hard look at that, you'd find that there were lots of reforms passed that made it more difficult to receive those benefits. Jerry in Waynesboro says, uh, oh, yeah, already told us, Logan's closing all 261. Rhino, could you make it a higher number on the ticket giveaway, please? I have to use the app, and there's about a 15 to 20 second buffer. (laughs) Miles per gallon requires calculus, says Philip in Walthall County. My first job in 1981 was as a lifeguard at the YMCA, says Ray in Long Beach. I made three ten an hour, but I rode my bicycle to work, so I was rich. Wow, Ray, was that three ten an hour? Was that minimum wage then, or were you making more than minimum wage? That'd make you rich, man. America, let's see, what does Gary Neberg said? Heard this on the radio. U-Haul statistics show a big exodus from California and New York in the top two states that folks moved to were Texas and Florida with Tennessee not far behind. Those three states have one thing in common, no income tax. They said the 2024 campaign should be simple. What do we want America to look like? California, New York, Illinois, or Florida, Texas, and Tennessee sounds good to me. I think that that besides the income tax, that crime, crime is a major issue as well that is – prompting folks to move out of those states. I mean, it wasn't such a loss that it's having a a major noticeable impact on the state, those states. There's no doubt about that. There are a lot of people that are willing to put up with an awful lot of junk to stay in those states. And they love those states, and they want to keep working to, to make them better. But I see your point. I, I get your point. Yeah, and that's that's a point that's made with regularity. Of course, you got Donald Trump now really putting the attack, going into attack mode on Ron DeSantis, the sanctimonious as he calls him, and DeSantis is is uh, is fighting back on that. He's he's got his own sort of set of rhetoric. He'll promote himself as a very successful governor. I think the best thing Donald Trump could do, honestly, is quit talking about the 2020 election. I think most people are kind of over that. And I think the people he needs, I'll put it that way, that may appeal to a certain element of his base, but the people he really needs, I think they they see that as, as um, unappealing, put it that way. But it will be interesting to watch he and DeSantis go after it for sure. He's already been critical of DeSantis as being too restrictive during COVID. I don't know. When you think about Florida and DeSantis. I just remember the lawyer dressing up like death and going to the beach because DeSantis had opened that. the beaches and he was saying, everybody's going to die. Do you remember that? Um, I, I don't uh, – I just don't think Ron DeSantis and Florida come to mind to most voters is they really – went draconian with respect to lockouts or lockdowns. I would say quite the opposite. Of course, DeSantis has come out, you may have seen this, and said, well, one thing I would have done different is I would have fired Fauci 
and Donald Trump didn't. So, gosh, I hope that we don't well, see this whole campaign revolve around COVID. I would say the one of the selling features for Donald Trump voters would be he's considered a straight shooter. Yeah. And it doesn't feel like he's being very much of a straight shooter when it comes to lockdowns and COVID and pulp. I feel like he's overblowing Florida's role in lockdowns, and he's kind of hiding his participation in Operation Warp Speed. I think that that's... And that could be detrimental to his campaign. I agree. I Again, I... Personally, I want to hear about what are you going to do for me going forward? What are you going to do for the country? I'm not trying to call attention to me. That sounded a little selfish. I apologize for that. But as a voter, I think most voters want to know, how are you going to improve my life, the life of my family? What are you going to do? And this applies at the state level as well. It's it's easy to just spout all these red meat platitudes but what are you going to do about purse? Every candidate needs to have a plan, needs to have an opinion. Everyone. Because it's a problem. It ain't going away. At the federal level, what are you planning to do about Medicare, which won't be able to pay its bills in a short five years? What are you going to do? You can't do what Joe says is, MAGA Republicans want to make you less healthy, want you to die, and all that sort of stuff. That's just crap. Nobody wants to hear that. What is your plan? Uh, those are critical issues. What is your plan to, at the federal level to secure the border? That's kind of easy one, honestly. It's not as sticky. I think there are a lot of good ideas there that uh, you can't get any traction on a bipartisan basis on, therefore they don't happen. You certainly can't get it done with Joe Biden in office who, who manages the people responsible for that, Homeland Security. As an example, Border Patrol, gosh, you had the head of the Border Patrol or ICE was on the Hill the other day, was asked point blank, is the border secure? No, sir, it's not secure. <laughs> like, okay, where's Mayorkas on this? Who says, it's? oh, calm down, it's all secure. It's Janet Yellen, it's transitory. Go back to work, don't worry about this, we got it. Jerome Powell. I did catch this yesterday, Rhino, when I when I went back and listened to some of his testimony, his remarks. He was asked a question by a reporter. Hey, do you need any help from the fiscal side of the House? That would be the Congress, the president, that make laws that impact fiscal policy. Because all he's got control of is monetary policy. The two work together to sort of shape the economy the economic environment at a minimum. And he said, no, really don't have any concerns about that or comments. Uh, We just deal with whatever they hand us. He wouldn't make an assessment. He wouldn't offer an analysis. You're the Fed chairman. So is it inappropriate for him to say, yeah, I wish those guys would quit spending all that money because it's making my job a whole lot harder? Because it is. He's fighting them. They keep pushing it out. And that fuels inflation, and his response is, we got to keep pumping the rates up. You guys got to lose your jobs so we can get rid of inflation. 
He won't say, any, would not say anything about fiscal policy. We've said it here on the program. What we want to see happen is unleashing of the American energy industry. And fortunately, Speaker Kevin McCarthy has styled HR1 their top priority to do just that. Get government the hell out of the way of the energy industry. It is the quickest, most effective, maybe the only thing we can do to get to the Fed's target of 2% inflation. I don't see it happening just by continuation of raising interest rates. We're coming right back in the Element Well Studios. Rhino's going to give away some tickets before we get out of here. Stay with us. Touch me, baby, With Gerard. Good for America. Good for fans of justice and truth. Good for us. Super Talk Mississippi. This is what we stand for. some tickets. Yeah, the multi-platinum selling band Three Doors Down are going to be at the Brandon Amphitheater in Brandon on Saturday, September 9th. Tickets for the show are going to go on sale tomorrow at Ticketmaster.com, or you can swing by the Brandon Amphitheater box office, but got a sneaky way you can get tickets early. It's today only. If you use the code Kryptonite while buying tickets, you can buy them one whole day early. So that, that code to buy tickets early is Kryptonite, but if you don't want to buy tickets, you want to take a chance and win tickets, all you got to do is be the 30th person to text in to the C Spire text line. That's 601-879-4395. Be the 30th person to text in Citizen Soldier, and you'll win a pair of tickets to see Three Doors Down at the Brandon Amphitheater in Brandon on Saturday, September 9th. 30th. Larry Ma says, so you think it's okay that Trump got cheated in 2020? Well, first, Larry, I'm, I'm still waiting to see the absolute irrefutable empirical evidence that he did, and that so far, three years later, that hasn't been provided. But secondly, I think you're missing the point, my friend. The point is, if Donald Trump, in my view, dwells on that, and that's a central theme in his campaign and his campaign rhetoric, he will lose. He will lose handily. Because the people he needs to support him, those he pulled over from Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, traditional blue states that he needs uh, in Michigan, they're going to say, ah, can't deal with that anymore. That's the point. It's, it's not the states like this one, for example, where so many people believe he got cheated, and they're going to support him, and he would win, hands down, in a general election. I'll support him. But it's the states he's got to have to win the White House. That's where he's got to tread lightly. He was so good in 16 and how he out-hustled Hillary Clinton right there towards the end. You remember, worked tirelessly and traveled between those key states, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin. And that's what put him over the top. That's what you got to have to win. 
The rest of them he's got, just like the Democrat candidate. Go ahead and put it in their column. California, New York, all the blue states, Connecticut, Massachusetts, Illinois, it's done deal. That's all I'm saying, is that if he dwells on that and makes that the central part of his message, rather than, but Mr. President, what are you going to do about inflation? What are you going to do about the border? And something other than just these these sort of catchy names for his opponents, I think that worked well to, to um, clear the field, as he did very handily in 16, talking about the field of Republican candidates in the primary. Weren't there 17 to start with? If not more. I think that was just what finally settled out. Yeah. But I think that was effective, but I don't think it is now, honestly. He's got a bit of a history, and and I, I think he's got to so, so many people, I being one of them, all for his policies, thought they were great for the country, still do, but could do without some of the approach. And I think there's a lot of people that feel the same way, and those people in particular, and specifically that he needs in those states I'm talking about. And even there, it's a few counties. That's where he's got them. He will make the difference. I think he will be better served if he focuses on that and his, and his, the success of his policies in a contrast of what our life was like under him versus what our life's like now. That's the winning strategy. There was a question, Johnny and Tupelo, Mr. G, how would you grade the Republican House the first 90 days? I, I'd give them a B plus, honestly, and the reason I say that is because the things I felt like they needed to focus on, they have, but I'm also a realist, and, and I hope you guys are too, is that they've got one half of one-third of government, so they're limited on what they can get done, but they're exposing, I think, I believe, Democrats, uh, and their bad policies. I think they're doing a good job of that. I think getting the ESG bill through, which got through on a bipartisan basis, unfortunately, the dumb president vetoed it under the pretense of, I'm protecting your investment, because if these money managers place money in companies that don't have big-time diversity, equity, and inclusion departments, they're not going to make it. I mean, that literally is what he said, which is insane. So, But I know a lot of people out there are going to say, well, we put them in office and they didn't get anything done because they've only got one half of one-third of government. That's why we got to stay with it and flip the Senate and flip the White House, and maybe we can get more stuff down done. Now, you may be in the camp that says, well, even when they had it with Trump and we, and we had the uh, Senate and the House, we didn't get as much done as I'd like, but sure was a whole lot better then. It, a lot of it, it's about bad stuff not getting through. you got to remember that. It's serving as a firewall against the Democrat agenda. But we are out of time here today on the program. We so appreciate you joining us. I hope you enjoyed the interviews as well, especially with um, former Secretary of Education Betsy DeVos. Back in the studios again tomorrow. Until then, stay safe and God bless everyone. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.